This episode of Beer and Bullshit is brought to you by Woodhouse Brewing. Woodhouse's lineup of beers is brewed to perfection and best enjoyed in the company of close friends and family. Check them out today at the LCBO or visit them at the Toronto Brew Pub with a newly opened patio. Hello folks, welcome to episode 3 of the Beer and Bullshit podcast, coming to you this week from the sunny shores of Lake Huron. Yes, I'm on a family vacation, enjoying the sun, enjoying the lake, enjoying not uh, being connected to everything all the time, forever. I'm currently hiding in a bunkie, taking a brief respite from uh, a cold drink and the sunshine, because I am that devoted to you, dear listeners. Got an interesting show for you this week, a good interview with Shianda Silva. Uh, but before we get to that, I just wanted to do some follow-up from my first show, my interview with Greg Taylor of Steam Whistle. Uh, you may recall Greg mentioned that he wanted to get the company back to its roots, back to doing one thing really well. And he mentioned that he wasn't exactly pleased with the way new brands had been rolled out since he left the company. Since Greg and I chatted, uh, a listener of the show has uh, emailed to inform me that the Von Bugle Brewing branding has been taken down from Steam Whistle's Evans Avenue production facility. There was ostensibly a Von Bugle uh, tasting room and beer store at the Evans Avenue space, and it's gone. So I reached out to Greg to ask what was up if he had killed the Von Bugle brand, and he let me know that the Evans Avenue tap room has been converted into a beautiful lunchroom and beer after workspace for their hard-working staff. He said, I quote, As I mentioned, I'm focused on the staff, doing my best to ensure their days are enjoyable at work, while providing them with a clear vision that we aspire to be known as the brewer of Canada's most respected premium beer, Steam Whistle Pilsner, end quote. So people who work at the Steam Whistle Evans production facility basically have the most badass break room in Canada beer right now. Rest in peace, Von Bugle. Maybe soon, not sure, but definitely rest in peace, Von Bugle. Tap room. But on to this week's show. This week, uh, I talked to Sheehan Da Silva, the owner of Lost Craft Brewing Company, and we talk a lot about what it means to be a contract brewer. For those of you who don't know, contract brewing ostensibly means someone who pays to have their beer brewed at another facility, i.e., one they don't own. Now, Contract brewing isn't an uncommon uh, occurrence in the brewing world. However, in Ontario, it enjoys perhaps a rather uncommon uh, disdain. We tend to speak about contract brewers pejoratively in Ontario. Brewers are resentful of contract brewers because they don't have enough skin in the game. A lot of people who built breweries built them themselves. They've learned how to brew beer. They went through the process of having to find space, develop a brewery, build a brewery. And so when a contract brewer comes along and ostensibly pays someone else to do the work for them, quote-unquote, real brewers uh, tend to take issue with it. Now, fair enough, and early on uh, in my beer writing career, I was definitely of the same mind, but early on in my beer writing career, maybe 2011, 2012, seemed to be a time when there was an influx of contract brewers. It felt like, certainly in Toronto, that craft brewing was a thing that was taking off. And, you know, realistically or not, it seemed like a lot of people thought it was a way to make some money. And so in came people who were basically marketers who thought that they could create a beer company. 
develop a nice label, pay someone to make some beer for them, either at Black Oak or at Cool Brewing in Etobicoke, get a delivery van, and start setting up accounts. So in that sense, there was a sort of negative connotation that people maybe weren't in it for the right reasons, whatever the hell that means. So since then, contract brewers have sort of all been painted with a rather broad brush, that they've all been this sort of um, opportunistic marketing kind of vibe. The truth of the matter is that contract brewing is a regular occurrence, and lots of brewers who you would consider legit and who have lots of indie cred started out contract brewing, or are in fact contract brewing their large volume beers at other spaces right now. And then at the same time, here's Shean De Silva and Lost Craft Brewing Company. Shean's not a brewer, and he'll readily admit it, but he's got a beer that sells more beer than most other craft brewers in the province. I, I don't mean the big, you know, the big ones like Steam Whistle or Bose, but I mean there's a lot of craft brewers that wish they sold as much beer as Shean De Silva. And so while he may not be a quote-unquote brewer, uh, he is running a successful brewing company, and he's doing it quite well. And frankly, the beers are pretty good. Some of them are award-winning, in fact. So I think maybe it's time we rethink the conversation about contract brewing in Ontario. And uh, I couldn't think of anyone else better to help start that conversation than Shean De Silva. He's, uh, he's got a lot to say on the matter. Um, I think you'll enjoy my talk. Will it change your mind about contract beer? I don't know. Did you have an opinion about contract beer before this? I don't think most people even do. So maybe this will be eye-opening for you for different reasons. But uh, here's me and Sheehan. I was trying to remember, the last time we talked, it was 2017. I wrote a piece for the Globe and Mail about contract brewing. And it was kind of like you versus bricks and mortar guys. That was kind of how it was framed. Mm-hmm. And I'm wondering how much do you think the industry's changed since then? Like it was, it's, there's such a like dichotomy. I don't know if you think it's still around or not. Oh, I think it's worse. Yeah. Is it? I mean, yeah, yeah. I mean, I think, I, and I, I mean, obviously I've, we've kind of chatted and I have, a, you know, a certain perspective, but that, that perspective is kind of colored also in the fact that, you know, I, I intend in some way, shape or form, whether that's via brew pub or, you know, something larger to have a physical space, but not because anyone's telling me that, that that's what makes me authentic. Right. It's because it makes sense for our business to do that. It just it's doing that in a in a logical way is kind of you know the name of the game um and you know i think that the, the proof is frankly just in the industry bodies um the ocb for example kind of booting out all contract brewers you know making it extremely difficult to operate um in this you know in this in a in a very backwards way in the sense that you know a lot of the a lot of the ocb you know a lot of the ocb members contract brew for people, um, yet they don't want those people to get the marketing benefits of being within the OCB or using the LCBO programming, yeah. et cetera, et cetera. Um, it's just very disingenuous the way that, you know, this industry association, the industry association on terror that I've, my experience has been, mm-hmm. uh, because it really hasn't been, it's, a, it's, a, it's been an odd, it's an odd situation where, you know, the entire focus and this, this is frankly why I think the industry is in the situation that it's in. Like the entire focus has been blaming people, like blaming the government or blaming competitors or blaming different, different ways of doing business as a reason why your, your sales aren't as high as they should be or, or as, high as, as high as you want them, want them to be. Mm-hmm. And what's, 
you know, and then it's just been the, you know, it's been a situation where they've just been focused on the wrong thing. Like you see what's happened in RTDs, you see what's happened in craft spirits, you've seen the move towards less like lower alcohol products. It's just across the board, it's the market is, is, has, has changed and the focus of, you know, a, a great number of people within kind of the industry bodies in Ontario have been really been targeting us, Ace Hill, formerly Woodhouse, you know, people like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the reality is that that's not, you know, we were never the problem. Well, how do you feel? I mean, I, I get it that you're not, you don't have representation at like literally the one board that has a seat at the table with government. How, but I mean, I'm interested to hear how you'd feel targeted. I mean, aside from the snarky asides, like, oh, they're contract brewers and we all take our shots at Ace Hill. But I mean, do you feel, how do you feel that you've been targeted or do you have any insight into why they took away contract brewers rights to be at the table? Um, so, well, why we were, I mean, my personal opinion, I mean, you can, you know, I think you could get, you know, better insight from people that rep, like people that are on within the OCB board, because to be clear, the, the, the decision was made not as through a general vote, the decision was made by the board of the OCB, the board of the OCB is, is, is run by, controlled by the you know, like big guys being Bose, Beam Whistle, Amsterdam, uh, Muskoka, and then it ranks like by volumes. And then there's all these other guys, you know, left fields in there. I don't remember. I don't re- recall all of them. Um, but that board took the vote and that's, and it, it didn't flow through to the industry, to the, to the kind of the general, um, to the general membership. So I would just say as a, as a general point, that's the simplest answer is that, you know, contract brewers, and I wouldn't say specifically me, I think it's just, it's a general right. statement about yeah. contract, you know, brewing that, um, that within the industry association, there's been, and I'm sure you've seen like the, whatever you call, it, I think there's like some sort of stamp that they created, like the, in, like, yeah, the independent brewery. Yeah, whatever it is. Labeling. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Right. Like this, the whole vibe has been really just like, we're better than you for whatever, you know, for, for whatever reason. Mm-hmm. Um, I, you know, when this all, this kind of actually came up even before they made the announcement about two, like probably about roughly speaking about two years when, I think it was maybe the last OCD conference um, and there was a, like a general meeting and I kind of, I stood up and I was the only, I was the only, effectively the only at the time. I mean, before I, before we technically left, I was the large, we were the largest um, contract brewer by volume. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, you know, and they were, they were trying to explain away how, because at the time before they made some changes recently, they were, they, you basically paid your dues based off how big your brewery was. So right. like, it was a volume related related thing so but the odd the odd thing that was happening was what they basically said is like like yeah you pay the same as everyone else but we're stripping away all of these benefits you know mm-hmm. you can't vote you can't t- benefit in all these different programming and etc so i'm like this is and you know obviously that's unfair and dumb so i said okay i mean then the discussion was becoming should we pay the same dues and what, whatever whatever had but I, the reality was it just didn't want they didn't want that, like the contract brewing segment, you know, within the OCB framework at all. It's effect, and that's effectively what ended up happening. And I saw, and I spoke to, you know, someone. I think it was, I mean, I don't recall who it was, but there, you know, someone sat up. I said, well, how is this fair? And the argument that was made by one of the, I think, the owners or one of the representatives of one of the breweries was, you know, you guys are marketing companies. We don't have money to sell or effectively to market our beer. And that's why we deserve these marketing benefits and you don't. And I'm just like, it's just, it's a, 
it's a ridiculous argument to say we have more like we make less money on our beer right. than you do. If yeah, you it's always it's it's always been interesting to me, and I'm I'm guilty of it too because I feel like 2011, 12, 13, there was like a scourge of contract brewers that were largely using the same person to make their beer, and I think that's kind of what soured people on the concept of you know contract brewers. But now, so many different people have come to the table through contract brewing, and all their stories and backgrounds are a little different. So it's it's interesting to paint everyone with the same brush, like. You know, I look at Mark and Mandy Murphy of Leftfield Brewery. They started with contract brewing. Sawdust City started contract brewing. I mean, there's examples like Hogtown. That was literally like nine finance guys who just thought it'd be fun to have a brewing company on the side. So there's like, there's a different story that gets people to contract brewing. But I mean, it's one of the reasons I wanted to talk to you in one of my earlier shows is because like you kill it, right? You sell a lot of beer. So like, there's gotta be a point where people say, okay, contract brewing is a legit thing. And there needs to be maybe some representation and we need to have these guys at the table to have a conversation. So let's maybe, I feel like we jumped right into it, but there's probably people that will listen to this that don't know your story. So maybe we should go back to you getting into it. You, you were a Bay Street guy and basically said, I want to try something different. That's, that's the vibe, right? Yep. Uh, essentially. I mean, I was, uh, uh, I traveled on Europe, love like European style beers. This is going back to 2011 where um, at the time, the majority of beers, not all of them, obviously, but the majority were uh, within the craft segment were really like the hoppier IPAs, like that style of beer. Um, and just wasn't my like forte. Like I love the whole idea of craft and brewed locally and no preservatives, et cetera, et cetera. But I just didn't like a lot of those beer styles. Um, and uh, so, yeah, and I was just super passionate about it. And I had some relationships through some friends and through my network with some very large established breweries, but they're, you know, German craft breweries are massive breweries. Right. So smaller guys, like not the like not the hugest ones, but I had I had an opportunity to go out there, visit them, learn a bit about it. Um, I'm not a brewer by any set by any stretch, but just got a feel as to you know some of the styles that they brew, specifically like Hellas, like the Kolsch, the stuff that the stuff that we do kind of more more frequently now. Yeah. And um and then yeah, just kind of came back. There's a lot of work between then, you know, in terms of planning and and meeting with the lcbo and talking about what you know what we were kind of coming to do and why we're what, what we were trying to do i think conceptually for me it was always love beer want to do something entrepreneurial and you know wanted to make approachable beers to get more people into the segment mm-hmm. and then conversely you know um dovetailing and you know being you know a person of color a vis- like a being a visible minority another thing that i always felt was i felt like none of these none of like a lot of the beer marketing just generally not necessarily just even within crop but just generally didn't really speak to you know a a big segment of the population and being from I grew up in Scarborough being you know born and raised in Toronto went to school here it just seemed very odd to me that it seemed like there was just a big number of people that were just excluded out of the space and one of our you know objectives and goals has always been to just try to attract a wider audience into uh, into the segment. Folks, are you like me? Do you like supporting independent breweries? Yeah, you do. What better independent brewery to support right now than the Indie Alehouse? Indie is right in the name, so you know they're independent. They're located in Toronto. Uh, their brew pub is in the junction, and they have a brewery in Italy in the Manulife Center as well. Of course, these are weird times for going out. Maybe you're not ready. Maybe you don't even live in Toronto. That's okay. You can still try the delicious beers that they're making at the Indie Ale House because they made it easy. Beer to your door, ordered from the comfort and safety of your own 
home. That's my favorite way to order things. You got free delivery anywhere in Toronto if you order 12 beers or more, and a flat rate anywhere else in Ontario. Why not order a Stay Home Pale Ale? One dollar from every can of Stay Home purchased will be donated to the fund that supports their employees that have been temporarily laid off due to COVID-19. Check them out at IndieAleHouse.com. There's a few things you said there that I feel like you're so ahead of the curve. Like when you talk about number one, I remember this when you started, you were like, I'm going to focus on the LCBO space. Most breweries started, they're like, we're going to make beer. We're going to have a little space. We're going to have some fun and do some licensee sales. And then LCBO was always like an afterthought and they weren't usually very good at it. And you were like day one LCBO. And I, that's where you, I think you had most of your success, right? Retail sales and the LCBO. Mm-hmm. The second thing that strikes me now, as you said, is that like, we are going back so hard to those like Hellas beers, like coal. Sh- like this is the time where we're getting back to balanced basic beers. You came out in a time, like you said, 2011, 2012, everyone was doing like face melting high IBUs, like big hoppy beers. It's almost like you were ahead of the curve. And then the final thing you said, like, it's interesting how like, I didn't hear anyone talking about diversifying the craft beer industry and in, you know, maybe the last five years, like, so you've kind of been ahead of the curve on a lot. So I'm wondering if like, do you feel that the beer industry has like caught up and started to show you a little love at all? Or is it just intensified the, the divisions? For whatever reason, I think when people get to know me and get to know our story and, and how we're different and why we're different, I think that people come around. I mean, I've definitely spoken to a lot of the well-respected um, uh, beer, beer writers and people that are kind of in the space, space bloggers. And when they, you know, after they talk to me, after they hear a little bit about it, they, you know, they, they take the lens of contract beer away and they just kind of try our beers for what they are. Generally speaking, I get a pretty, you know, positive response. I, I came at this from, um, you know, a background that wasn't traditional, wasn't, you know, traditional beer. And, you know, one of the things that I, that I definitely um, received at the outset was a lot of people questioning, like, my commitment to beer, or because I don't look like a brewer, right? The people, a lot of people saying, why are you like, you're not the brewer. Like you don't, you don't actually make the beer. Right. And then just like that, that mentality is pervasive. Right. And then you, when you start seeing it, it does get you discouraged, but you know, it's pretty, you know, motivated to try to, you know, be persistent and, and make things work. And I'm glad we are where we are. My, my thing has always just been the, you know, making sure that people are authentic in what they do. And, and that's kind of effectively how I've been. Um, since we started the company. So I hope that, you know, as more and more people learn a bit more about our story, they kind of can, you know, can see that as well. Yeah. And I think, I mean, I think craft beer is a lot about the story, right? Like some of them, it got cliche. Like I mentioned this actually on my first podcast uh, episode with um, Greg Taylor of Steam Whistle. Like they were the first guys to be like, oh, we're sitting around a campfire and decided to start a beer, a brewing company. And now there's been like a million of those, but like, it's always been that story that's pulled people in like, Oh, this we built in an old church. So maybe it, it, it's the difficulty of hearing like the, your story. Cause it's not, you know, that like fairy tale that we're used to having woven into craft beer. So I don't know if that's an element of it or not, but I, I get what you're saying there. Like, it, I feel like you've had a, you've had a pretty uh, a tough go, frankly. Yeah. I mean, and I, I always struggle with the logic of, you know, when I, when you take a step back from beer and I think it just, you can approach it from any industry. Um, if I said, you know, I have no experience, like I've never worked for a brewery before, never made a beer, never made a brand. I had never made, like I, I was, you know, I, I worked at, you know, I did, I went to U of T and I just worked in finance, you know, from when I kind of effectively from when I graduated, you know, if, 
if I went to anyone and said, listen, give me like a couple million dollars to build a brewery, you'd have to be insane to say that that was a good idea. Right. So, you know, like it's, it's for me, I don't understand why it's celebrated to make stupid decisions. And I think for, for someone, for someone to- That's take, craft beer in a nutshell. <laughs> yeah, but like that's, and, and don't get me wrong. It's cool if that, if you can make that work and like you bootstrap it and, you know, risk everything and um, you come out of it ahead. But I think you're starting to see like with, you know, breweries for sale more and more and, and you know, there's little cracks kind of emerging. It's not fun to, to, to be in a bad situation. And Yeah, but know. I think I think a lot of that is mythology. I, like if you look at the actual people that are starting craft breweries, I mean, they're like you said, they're predominantly white people. They're usually on a second or third career. It's not like they're like, I'm going to start this from nothing. It's like, oh, I decided to quit my job because you had banked a lot of money. You yeah. could. Like it's not like, you're like <laughs> I'm just going to go exactly. start a brewery. That is part of the mythology too, right? I think there's an interesting yeah. thing to be said too about like, you're good at the stuff that the craft brewers aren't. And I'm probably going to take shit for saying that, but like, I think a lot of craft breweries suck at building a brand. They're not good at communications. I, I don't know if there's like some resentment there, but like, I look at your cans, they're good looking cans. I, hell, I like the Ace Hill cans too, right? Like they're well branded and you've mm. built a good brand. You've always had a good web presence. You've always had good branding and social media. So it's almost like, you've been good at the things that they're not. So I don't know if there's a resentment there or just, you're just, I don't know. I don't know, man. You're kind of a yeah. unique cat. <laughs> well, the interesting thing too is like, and this kind of, this is kind of effectively what happened. And one of the reasons why, you know, I felt like validated, but then I realized quickly like the validation didn't mean anything. So in, I think it was our second year um, when we won, um, we won best in show at the Ontario Brewing Awards, right? And we won for a revival, like our Lagerdale, which I think most people didn't expect could win like the best of the best because it's such a basic kind of simple beer. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, and, you know, this is coming on the back of being rejected at every like major beer bar in the city with the beer, right? Because Lost Craft, Contract Brew, painted with a certain brush, et cetera, et cetera. Oh, the beer isn't good. I mean, that effectively it, it, at, no, no, at no point did anyone say, this beer is um, that I just don't like it because if it's contract, brand, like, there are far superior Lagerdales on the market. Fast forward like a month later, we win best in show with the same beer. So this is where I started to realize like, you know, there's just, there's a bias that exists. Um, it, there, there's a club that we're not a part of and we've accepted that we're not a part of that club. But I think that the bigger opportunity is not convincing, you know, people that are set in their ways that our beer is good. It's just really frankly, just getting in front of more and more people to make more and more people like craft beer. Cause I think that's, that's, I think that's where I keep saying this. It's like, that's where everyone wins. It's not trying to convince, you know, someone that's dead set on doing things a certain way that, that there's another way to skin a cat kind of thing. Yeah. And one thing I've realized is that if you can get your beer into someone's hand, they typically don't really give a shit if you own the building it was made in. Right. I mean, that's such a, thing that we've crafted as craft beer nerds like well he doesn't have any skin in the game because he doesn't own a brewery did the dog just get attacked yeah. what's happening there? sorry okay? it's my it's my doberman he's uh he's 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 feeling the he's feeling a little bit anxious he's getting <laughs> he's getting neutered in in two days so oh, he knows it's coming yeah i think he knows it's coming yeah <laughs> poor bastard well i'll raise it i'll raise this beer to him Oh, yeah. to your dog's nuts. Sorry. Cheers. <laughs> exactly. exactly. But anyway, I do think that like it is a construct. Like maybe you go to the beer bars and you're talking to like, uh, you know, bar owners and bartenders. But I think if you talk to like, 
people who just want to have a, a cold beer. I mean, I don't know what percentage of the market still just wants a nice lager, but it's pretty high, even in these, you know, more uh, aware consumer times. So, yeah, I, I think I think that once once you've like once you've got your beer in someone's hand, you probably have just as much a shot as anyone else with them sticking around, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, I think it's just it's it's interesting how you have that you know issue with beer where it doesn't it really doesn't exist for tons of other you know in well i'd say 99 percent of industries like no lots of people have samsung phones and iphones and whatever and every single component within that phone wasn't built by those by those companies where where do you brew your beer now you're at equals uh we brew at brunswick and we also oh. uh yeah we, brunswick is our prime our primary but we also do uh, definitely do some work with uh, equals as well okay and you've got, I'm actually looking at your website. You've got a handful of brands now. Like you started with one, right? Yep. <laughs> started with one now, too many, but. Too uh, many? Yeah. But, oh, and I can um, buy chips on your website too. Yep. And <laughs> exactly. And tequila. Nice. You know? <laughs> um, yeah, no, it's just, you know, obviously we've, we've been, we've been busy with innovation. I mean, I think that that's the coolest thing about craft beer is really, um, making cool, unique, interesting products, and then getting them, you know, getting more and more people trying those products. Um, so that's something that we've definitely been focused on within the beer space is really making sure that we have a, a strong innovation pipeline. We had two, you know, two seasonals. We did our first sour this year. Um, and then, a, you know, like another session IPA. Uh, we have a brute IPA coming, you know, imminently, which is one of the few that, that, that are going to be, you know, rolling into the LCBO. In addition to some other really cool initiatives with our diversity logger, um, which we're working on a, a pretty, pretty cool partnership with, uh, with a not-for-profit uh, that we're relaunching um, in, 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 in the coming months. So nice. we definitely want to keep the rotation going, the rotation moving and, and, you know, keep everything fresh within the lineup. So what does that, what does that process look like? You're talking about developing new brands and, and trying new things. I mean, the story within a craft brew would be that, you know, the, a brewmaster got to try something new. I think a lot of the time it's probably marketing says we need to fill this hole and they work backwards, but that's not the story on the can. But I mean, what, what does that look like for you? I mean, who's leading, like you decided you wanted to do um, an American pale ale. Is that your decision? Like yeah. how, how does that work? We talk to the team. We see what, you know, what, what, what we like, we're not, we're, I mean, to a fault, I'd say we actually don't do it that way where, we look at, you know, sales by skew at the LCBO and try to like fit a niche. I think it's more for me anyway, it's more when I like, when I like a, when I like a style, a great example would be the sour. So I like, um, I'm, I'm traditionally like a generally a, like a lager drinker, but, and I felt like making something more citrusy, a little bit easy, you know, easy, easier, and easier to drink a little bit less tart and quite refreshing. Yeah. I just thought that, that would be a good style to, that would fit, you know, the, the, what I call the lost craft customer, someone that's kind of en entering a gateway, kind of a gateway style of beer into that space versus going straight to something, you know, super hoppy or, or, or something that's a little bit less approachable. I still feel like you come at it from a marketing lens because you just mentioned, you know, essentially you've identified the persona of your consumer and I could talk to 15 more brewers and they wouldn't mention the person, like the persona of the person that typically drinks their beer. Like, that was a good beer. I liked it. We had this hop available and we made it. But I, I don't think that's a discredit for you. I think that's part of the, like, that's part of the beauty of Lost Craft. Like, I've, frankly, I respect your hustle because you came at it before you even had a beer. You were, you were talking to LCBO folks. And I think that's what got you on shelves. And that's what 
beer moving for you, right? I mean, yeah. I mean, I think I think understanding your consumers, you know, is is extremely important for sure. So what you've mentioned potential brew pub, you've mentioned retail space. I mean, retail space is like hoping cross your fingers that th things stay this way post COVID for 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 brewers. But I mean, what would your ideal, you know? lost craft scenario be for a space people can walk in and buy your beer off the street yeah for sure i mean definitely somewhere in toronto it's it, uh, we're not i think we're not super location specific but we have a couple of kind of ideas of opportunities and and our thing is also we you know we've you know going in the last two years we've been figuring out um uh ways to expand into distilling as well like i think that that's actually like a huge um, a huge thing that we would ideally like to do and effectively be a one-stop shop where you could have a brewery on-site distilling event space. I mean, the whole nine yards, I mean, that would be the, that would be the dream. Whether you can, based on like fire codes and stuff that I've realized over time in looking at different spaces, uh, that's not an easy thing. And there's a reason why it doesn't exist. We signed a lease on steam, um, not steam whistles, um, Mill Street's old brewery in Scarborough. Yeah, massive, I remember you told me that. Yeah, massive place. And then they took a storage company over ours, which is fine. Uh, but, you know, like essentially we've been very, very close. We did another thing, you know, with, with a couple other spaces and been super close and just haven't worked for the right, you know, for various reasons. So, but I'm cautiously, you know, cautiously optimistic that, um, you know, when the next uh, year or so we'll, we'll, we'll have something kind of more concrete uh, for everyone. And you're still pushing beer, right? I mean, this this is the kind of time when people, I mean, during COVID now more than ever, people are into lagers and familiar beers. So have you seen that reflected in your sales numbers? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, for sure. I mean, lagers are by far and away public 80%, 70 to 80% of our total kind of volume. That being said, it's skewed a little bit when we have, obviously when licensees are there, we have a lot of, you know, IPAs and, and our, our ambers and other other kind of other products as well. Um, but for sure, for us, I mean, for our brand specifically, for the most part, three of our lagers, which are Unifier, Light Lager, um, Revival, and, and Diversity, all three of those beers are, account for the lion's share. So you have a beer called Diversity, which is obviously interesting in and of itself, but it's probably worth mentioning that, like, if I had a hundred conversations with, you know, craft beer folks, I'd probably see five brown or black faces, and here you are, a owner of a brewing company, a visible minority, how much do you think that's shaped the way your business has been run and the way, you know, consumers in the industry has reacted to your company? Um, to be honest, I don't think many people even know, <laughs> <laughs> but, but not that, you know, and I, and I don't, I'm not, I'm, you know, I'm generally speaking, not particularly politically correct in a lot of ways in the sense that I, I don't want people, you know, buying our beer because, because of that. Right. I think you, know, you buy our beer because you like the beer. Um, but, but I do think it's obviously like shaped a lot of how we've gone, you know, how we've gone about doing our business and, and the organizations that we've worked with. Um, and, you know, that beer specifically, and it's very odd because, you know, that beer has become our like top selling beer uh, online overnight, which is hard to do when you with revival because that beer sells you know, so well, I mean, I'm talking about in our online store mm -hmm. and, um, and yeah, I mean, the weird, like, you know, we launched that beer last year and it wasn't, you know, it, I, you know, I always, you know, one thing that I was, you know, pretty, pretty vocal about is authenticity when it comes to diversity and, and actually make me, you know, meaning something. Cause I think, you know, more recently it's become just in fashion to say that you care right. um, and not that and I'm not saying that everyone in any way like feels that way or, or, or is disingenuous, but um, you know, that beer we developed, what we did was within the can design itself, we um, 
use the top 14 languages uh, spoken in Toronto um, and actually design like the can is, is based off um, kind of silhouette, you know, tower that um, that really represented our city that that came that came about last year that was, you know, that was launched effectively in April, you know, around April, May last year. Um, didn't because we have the, like other other beers that are, you know, more, you know, get get a lot more buzz. Um, that kind of flew a little bit under the radar, and then this year just you know seemed to have you know exploded, which is which is great. But you know, why do you think I, that is? Just I think I mean obviously I do definitely feel like a move towards loggers is where it's coming back to. It just seems feels that way. Like even before where I was seeing you know a lot more of the APAs, the Reds, the you know IPAs, even to some extent that we do, which is definitely not the line share of what we do. Um, but we definitely just have just started seeing a resurgence, and I think. I think when people, I mean, when we see it on Instagram all the time, when people see that can, they realize like how interesting it is and unique and put a lot of compliments, you know, from it, which is, which has been great. But um, I think it's just, it's very, I, I think it'd be hard to get more Toronto than that yeah. <laughs> in terms of, you know, what kind of is, you know, what our city's about. So, um, so yeah, I, mean, yeah, well, really I think that's an interesting it. thing. I think you've tapped something because Toronto is super diverse and I'm, I, I wouldn't say that it's, brewing industry is right i mean toronto is mostly visible minorities i think it's 55 percent of torontonians are visible minorities at this point and i i don't think that's reflected in the brewing it's definitely not reflected in who works in the brewing industry so i don't know if people are tapping into that with the can because you've got multiple languages on it or I, I don't know i think i think more people are becoming aware of what a hell this lager is too that probably helps yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Shout out to Muddy York. I think yeah, yeah, that's right. That's a good one. But I've always noticed that even in your branding, uh, you know, you've—I don't know if it's intentional. I think it is. But you—you'll—you'll see black hands holding a beer. You don't see that in a lot of you know um, advertising. Maybe more and more. But I mean, you, I feel like you've made an effort to be a little bit more multicultural, given the city that you're attempting to do business in. I'm assuming that's a conscious yeah. decision. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I mean, it's just, I think, and I think that's where um, this year I, I kind of started not getting my back up. It would be the way that I'd put it, but you know, I, I feel like for sure, I mean, don't get me wrong. We definitely have, we have people from everywhere. Like it's not just people of color necessarily, but <laughs> no, um, you're not trying to target them. I get it. <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly. It's not just that, but, um, but yeah, no, I mean, I think that, you know, for, uh, in, in, in an environment today, I think that, you know, beer is, is definitely like a very socially, um, I feel craft beer specifically more, more so than, you know, anything else, pretty socially conscious and pretty, um, and, and demand a lot from brewers, like, you know, the whole issue with this OCB and the MP for MPP or whatever it was like a little while ago, like, I think consumers really care. And, oh, that was you know, crazy. I was actually yeah. shocked. I mean, I know we are like a feisty bunch of like craft beer nerds. But the fact that they simply posed, I don't know, that was, a, that was an eye opener for me because I, okay, I'm, I'm of two opinions of this because I think it's a little naive to not assume that craft breweries or business owners will work with the people in government. So I knew it was out there. And I was like, this isn't going to go well because they posed for a picture with, a, I forget his name, that little weaselly guy who's been like <laughs> anti-choice yeah. and yeah yeah but the 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 swiftness with which everyone was just like on that that little that picture was pretty shocking to me i don't know and i'm yeah. i'm like usually one of the ones with the lighting my torch first and grabbing my pitchfork but i was like wow we're on this shit <laughs> yeah i mean it was it was eye-opening for me too i mean um 
obviously we're, we weren't a member of the OCB, nor were we in this picture. Um, I knew who this person was though, and I would definitely say that you would realistic, this goes back, you know how you mentioned knowing your consumer? This yeah. is where I always say this, like there's sometimes there's a disconnect between the, the people running these companies and, and the people buying the product. Totally, right? totally. When you don't know, when you don't understand that, that's where this, you know, this issue kind of can. Well, and even in between the owners and maybe the people running your social media and your sales yeah. teams, right? Like you're like, oh, the own, like I'm sure there were some people that were like on Twitter that were like doing social media for these companies. Yeah. They're like, oh fuck. And the owners are just like, hey, we're with an MPP. <laughs> yeah, well, exactly. I, I mean, and that was where even it just, it turned into even just the whole thing about, you know, with the, you know, the blood the black, the black check or the black, you know, the black post or whatever it was, you know, a little while ago. Yeah. Yeah. And then it turned, and then it turned into other breweries getting like really shamed for not posting. And then it becoming this huge, like huge thing. My, my thing is like, you know, don't be pissed at, like, don't be upset that a, that a brewery um, doesn't post a, a symbolic post. Be upset if, you know, there's, you know, there's no people of color in any of their marketing. Be upset about, you know, not, no outreach to any of these other, you know, organizations, if you want to be upset about that. And that's my opinion is that, you know, you should kind of look, you know, just ask for more from those breweries and don't, don't just worry about, you know, one day. I think it should be, you should be really like everyone. I think if, if that's something that they care about, you know, focus on come and, and there are breweries that, that definitely do it, that do, that make, you know, a conscious effort to try to expand the pie. If all you care about is the, you know, the, 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 the absolute most unique IPA in, in, on earth and you don't care about anything about what the brewery does and how they, like who they are, why they make it, what they're trying to do, et cetera, et cetera, that's fine. That you have every right to do that. But if you're, you know, if you really care about, you know, the social, you know, fabric or the morals or, or what, what these people stand for outside of that, it's not mm -hmm. a one day thing. It's, it's an everyday thing. Yeah, it's definitely, I mean, this is the conversation is actually is obviously moving forward a lot faster now and it's really got people thinking about it but yeah there's a lot of lip service happening and a lot of people are like okay yeah you, you did you know blackout tuesday what else are you gonna do so it's been interesting yeah. to see i always i look at it i look at it as a positive i think that it 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 kind of highlighted something and i think that you know more and more um breweries are you know taking an honest look at you know their, you know, their staffing, their, their marketing strategies, how to bring, you know, more people into, you know, into the environment. And I think that that's actually, that's what everyone really, you know, benefits from. Mm -hmm. It's like, it's not just us doing it. Like if we're the only ones doing it, I can guarantee you our voice and our reach and it's, it's not good enough. It's, it's when the OCB makes, you know, that as part of their, you know, as part of their um, kind of principles Mandy. or operating, yeah, Mandy, whatever it is, right. It's like, and I always, I've always been very confused about that. Is like I feel like any industry body should be focused on growing the industry. That's the goal. Yeah. Grow the um, it's just and, like all the sexist bullshit. It's like, why are you actively forget forget that it, you're an asshole? Why are you eliminating half of the market? Like, <laughs> look at it from an economic point of view. Like, why would you like? I don't know. Why would you, you know isolate? Fifty-one percent of potential craft beer drinkers just because you want to make a you know a boob joke on your can—it's just stupid. Well, thanks for chatting, man. It's been it's been good talking to you. Yeah, no, for sure. Anytime. I look forward well, I, to uh, your potential brew pub on the other side of COVID. Yeah, yeah, exactly. When and hopefully, hopefully everyone stays safe and you, you as well. And
Well, yeah, I feel well, like you've got other priorities right now, man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Baby and dog neutering. Yeah, those are those are definitely the priorities right now. You're painting a nursery and uh, chopping your dog's balls off. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Best of luck. Right. Talk soon. All right, thanks. Okay, take care. Bye. Thanks for listening. Be sure and wash your hands.